I don't know of a greater privilege that a man can have in this life than to stand before others and share the precious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love what I do. I miss that I can't do it as I used to do it. And I pray that one day I will be able to do more than I'm able to do now. But I'm very thankful that the Lord has afforded me the health, the well-being, and the presence of mind to be here this morning and guide your thoughts. It's so good to be with Larry and Debbie, and you know how we feel uh, about them even when he picks on me from the pulpit in class. Shame on him again. <laughs> Twice I'm shaming him this morning. I, we've all been blessed in so many ways, as was mentioned in the prayer before the offering, uh, we, we couldn't even begin to catalog all the blessings that God has blessed each of our lives with. Family, friends, brethren, the physical necessities and the physical blessings of this life. But then you graduate on to the spiritual blessings. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that we find all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And there are so many more blessings, perhaps, than we often consider or think about or even utilize in service to God. The Lord has blessed Lori and I with three children, and we now have nine grandchildren. And uh, they range in age from 21 the oldest, to the youngest, who will be three in August. My wife and I have moved in with our oldest daughter, Tina, and her husband, Mitch, and the two little ones, uh, both adopted. The, the little girl will be three in August, the other is four. And I can tell you, as I mentioned to Avilda at the beginning before service, I know why the Lord intended for young people to have children. <laughs> The noise level is beyond description. There are days that I literally, if I looked in a mirror, I would just—I would be just sure that my eyeballs were just going round and round and round and round. I have an office upstairs, and there is no door. Every yell, every scream, every holler, every fuss, every dis- whatever you want to say, it goes straight up the stairs and right to my head. I don't know how I have my sanity, but I still do. So I thank the Lord for that. Recently, I had the opportunity to purchase a new office chair. And that was a milestone for me. I had had the same office chair for many years. And when we moved, uh, that chair broke. And I inherited Mitch's chair at the house. And it was not the best thing for my back. So finally I got an opportunity and we, we got a chair. My, my next to the oldest, third oldest grandson volunteered, or should I say backslash, was drafted into coming and helped me assemble that chair. He was happy to do it, he was anxious to do it, and so he tore into the box. And uh, the, the swiftness with which the flaps were opened and ripped denying the presence of heavy staples that kept them shut. 
he immediately began to pull everything out and, and here's the chair and here's the back and here's the legs and here's all the screws and he's throwing all this and he said, I'm ready to get going. And I said, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. In the very bottom of that box, there is an instruction sheet. Look in that box. Yeah. I said, pull that out. Okay, pop bear, I'll pull it out. I said, now look at the pictures. He said, this is easy. We don't need pictures. I said, look at the pictures. He looked at the pictures. I said, now there's a package of screws and nuts. There's a few bolts there. I said, I want you to open those up and group them by the size and the way the appearance, the way they look. He said, why? I said, you will know why in a few minutes. So he did. And, and so I said, are you wondering why I asked you to do all that? And he said, yeah. I said, we're taking inventory. Because I don't want to get started putting this chair together and find out that I don't have everything in this box that will complete this chair. Where am I going with this introduction? I'll tell you where I'm going. Sometimes we rush off into life and we think we know what's best and we think we know how to put things together and put our life together and work on cars and do those kinds of things, work in the yard. And we don't think we need any assistance and we somehow or another have derived the conclusion that's false that we can do it on our own. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's not a one of us here who can put his or her life together and please God and go to heaven when this life is over with by themselves. It is that simple. We need to look into God's book of instruction. We need to open it up and we need to learn from the contents as my grandson was learning about the contents in the box. And then we need to start making sure that we got everything we're supposed to have to serve the Lord. Are you with me? So I want us to understand that God wants us to win. God wants us to be victorious. He's, he's not against us. God is unchanging. We are ever-changing. And so if we put stock in ourselves as opposed to putting complete trust and stock in the Lord, I will tell you right now that the Bible is replete and life around us is full of examples of people who ended up on a dead-end street without spiritual life and without the hope of heaven when this life is over with. Now that's how serious what we're going to talk about is. I direct your thoughts to the reading that was uh, done initially in Hebrews, the 13th chapter. And I thank the uh, brothers for the prayer and the song this morning. Uh, I, personally, I observed that the, the brother leading song service has gotten a whole lot better at leading songs. I'm impressed with that. Good for you, brother. You keep it going. You're doing good. Um, there's an interesting benediction at the end of the book of Hebrews that from my perspective as a Bible student as a Christian is one of the most beautiful benedictions in the entirety of God's book now I'm going to highlight three other benedictions because 
they're a common occurrence. And a benediction was something that became a very common practice in temple in the temple worship. Well, what is a benediction? Let's simplify that long word in a way that we can understand, maybe get our hands around it a little better. It means defined to bless. It means to speak well of. It is the invocation of a blessing. It is the concept uh, that which uh, promotes goodness and well-being. So the writer of Hebrews, as he concludes this letter, does so with this benedict, the benediction, this these statements of praise and thanksgiving and recognition of God and what He has done and what He will do. Now listen carefully. I'm going to begin the reading with verse 18. Pray for us. I'm reading from the New King James Translation. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you. Now you can see the appeal that the writer is making here. I especially urge you to do this. Why? That I may be restored to you the sooner. I want to come back and spend some time with you. Why would he need to do that? Whether it was the Apostle Paul, whether it was some other minister of the gospel, whether it might have been another apostle, I'm not sure, and I am confident that you're not sure either. Because... As I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, you don't either. All I know is there was a thorn in the flesh. And all I know is the inspired writer of Hebrews says, I want you to pray for me because I especially want to come back to you. But now listen. Now now may the God of peace. Now there is a phrase. The God of peace. That the apostle Paul used with great frequency throughout his epistles. So that has lent itself to some drawing the conclusion this must be Paul. Uh, I don't know that that's so, but whether it's him or not, the fact is God is a God of peace. That's the point that is to be recognized. Who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. We need to remember that it happened. And we need to remember how it happened. And who enabled that to happen? And it's the power of God. Now there's a reason that we need to recognize that. Because he's going to state it. He says, that great shepherd of the sheep. Well, that's another common illustration found certainly in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. Jesus says, I am the shepherd. And my sheep hear my voice. So we understand he is the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, a covenant that was ratified with the death and the burial and the resurrection and the, the giving of the offering of the blood and the body of Christ to establish a new covenant, a better covenant than the old covenant. So there's a reason that these terms are, are in here the way they are. Because actually, if you study the book of Hebrews, each of these phrases comprise the multiple themes that run 
throughout the book of Hebrews. So the writer here is almost giving a summation of all he's written in very brief form. It's kind of like uh, what, what Gerald said. I don't know if I can remember now what he said, but he said you, you say what you're going to say and you say it and then you say again what you said or something to that effect, right? Did I get it? Thank you very much. He gave me a thumbs up. That's good. Larry gave me a thumbs down, but that's okay. <laughs> so he says, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you what is well pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, what is the writer saying here? All these things that God through Christ has done for us. What is the culmination of that? What is the intent? What is the purpose of that? The writer says... To make you complete. The New uh, Living Translation says, May He equip you. May He equip you with all you need for doing His will. Now, now Brent, our children and our grandchildren need reassurance from us that we love them. We demonstrate in so many ways our love. But they need to hear it. We need to tell them. We need to embrace them. And we need to say, I love you. I I remember a ladies Bible class one time. And we were talking about the principle of love. And out of the clear blue, one of the ladies raised her hand. And she said, I don't have to tell my sons. And I don't have to tell my husband I love them. They just know it. What would you have said? Oh, that's right. No, nay, 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 nay. A word fitly spoken, the Bible says. You got to speak it. You got to share it. They need to know it. Jesus didn't hesitate time after time after time after time to tell his apostles how much he loved them. So we need to understand where all of this takes place. I want to, very quickly, I want you to turn back to the book of Numbers. And I want you to uh, look with me at Numbers chapter 6. And I'm going to begin the reading with verse 24 and read down through verse 26. And I'm going to tell you that I, I, I don't have a cold. You shook hands with me. Don't, don't think you've got to go straight to the Purell bottle and Oh man, I just shook hands with Bill and he's sniffling. He got, he's sick. I don't want that. I got allergies. I live in Texas. I never had allergies till I moved to Texas. And now I got all kinds of allergies. So um, the old preacher one time to deal with those kind of issues kept a cough drop in his pocket. And everybody knew it. And when, he, when the cough drop was done, he knew it was time to end the lesson. One problem. One of his buttons had come off. And he put it in his pocket. And as he's preaching and reaching for that cough drop, he got the button instead of the cough drop. 30 minutes came. 40 minutes came. 50 minutes came. 
And one of the men back in the back said, what kind of cough drop does that guy have in his mouth? So if I have to pull a cough drop out, I will show you that it is a Hall's cough drop, okay? So you won't think I'm sucking on buttons. Moses says, verse 24, number 6, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. That's probably the most familiar benediction that, generally speaking, people are familiar with. But there's two others I want to note. Turn very quickly to 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse uh, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. No greater recognition and gift could be wished on brethren than the promise and the hope and the benefit of those blessings. Thankful to God. Recognition that comes from God. Now turn please to the book of Jude. And at the very end of the book of Jude, I could try and, uh, if I was honry, I could ask you to turn to the book of Jude, the third chapter, verse 24, and just watch your faces to see how you reacted when you realized that there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. But at the end of the book of Jude, I want to read verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise. Listen. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. There is the appeal for blessing, recognition that God is the source of all that we have. Now, the overriding thought in all of this seems to be that whatever we need to be doing in our lives, what God wants us to be doing in our lives, that He is not indifferent to our needs. Now, let me, let me ask you to stop for just a second and to think about what I just said. If I can rephrase that in another way, I'll say it this way. God doesn't ask us to do something that He doesn't give, it the, give us the wherewithal to do it. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the God who has... Uh, a wealth of, of information and benefits and blessings. Everything that we could ever need, he ha He's the source. You know what our problem is? We don't go to Him enough and ask Him. They're there. They're just waiting. So we need to think about that in our own lives. I am so thankful to know that, that God is is not in any way indifferent to what He wants and expects 
and desires for me to do in my life. I'll be honest with you, if I may. Uh, There have been times in my life in the last number of years where I have experienced, uh, for lack of another expression, there's been some doubtings. Oh, I've never doubted the existence of God. I've never doubted the existence of Jesus Christ, His Son. I've never doubted the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of His of the of the Word, the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word. I, I, I've never I've never doubted that. But what I have doubted, from time to time, what 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 is my purpose now? What am I supposed to be doing? I gave the bulk of my life to preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've, I've not been afforded that opportunity because of the health issues that, I have on, that are ongoing. And it causes you to look and you try and figure it out. And then what you figure out is you're not going to figure it out. What you've got to do is you've got to take it to the Lord. And you've got to lay that burden down at his feet. And let him take care of you and direct you as he will. Are you listening to what I'm saying? There's not a one of us in this audience that doesn't have burdens to bear. There's not a one of us in this audience that doesn't have problems, difficulties, and trials in this life. Not a one of us. And that makes us all in the same boat. Without God, we are nothing. Without God, we will not succeed. With God, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Okay. There's a lot more I could say about that, but uh, here's what I would like to point out to you. There really is nothing good for us in this whole world that is not that God is not eager to provide for us. Uh, you, you'll find if you're going through life and you're you engage someone in a discussion of their need for salvation or questions, and there are a lot of questions in this world today about God. If there's a God, why do we have suffering? If there's a God, why is there sin? If there's a God, why do we have storms? All these kinds of questions. And actually, some of them are very honest in asking those questions. But they're looking to the wrong source for the answer. Our world is looking to the wrong source. Our leaders in this country are looking to the wrong source. Many places that are called houses of worship today are looking to the wrong sources. There's only one source. And you're looking at it. Don't look at me. I'm just a man. I'm the messenger. This is the message. And if we'll follow this road map, and if we'll let this book be our guide, let me tell you, folks, the sky's the limit for what we want to do, be, and accomplish for God. Not for ourselves, 
but for God. Are you with me? So, number one. When we ask talk about what he's able to do for us, he's eager to do good for all of mankind. Uh, God, the, you know, he bestows you know, universal blessings indiscriminately, indiscriminately in this world. Look at Matthew chapter 5 very quickly. And I want to read uh, verse 44 and 45. And may I ask this question? I know it's being recorded and that's okay. What time do we usually end here? Oh, my brother. Oh, my brother and my friend. Thank you, Danny. You just scored major points. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to share this. I met with the congregation and they said, could we have a, a, a meeting of the congregation with you? We'd like to just let everybody have an opportunity to talk, ask you questions. I said, fine. So if you've ever stood up in front of 100 people, kids, men, women, and the, the field is open, they just, whoever raises their hand, and you got to take the, the question and answer. This little girl, towards back, probably 10, 11, 12 years old, raised her hand. And I thought, oh, this it's interesting. She goes, Brother Fairchild. I said, yes, ma'am. How long do you preach? I said, well, you know, maybe I ought to come back to you with a question. And the question is, who put you up to asking that question to begin with for you to ask that question? But now I'm going to answer both questions. I preach till I'm through and I sit down. End of discussion. Well, it was. Well, I'm not going to preach till I'm through, and then I'll sit down and go too long. But can I have a, a general time frame here? I got to pace myself. Don't everybody speak at once. Eleven <laughs> forty-five is that kind of a target? Thanks, Larry. Leave me hanging here. Okay, that's that's three, buddy. <laughs> three strikes, you're out. <laughs> okay. Matthew 5, 44, 45. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, Jesus is saying, that there is a way that God blesses all of mankind in general, indiscriminately. It's the blessing of being a living creature on this planet. We enjoy the sun. We enjoy the moon, the stars, the climate changes, the seasons, the, the, the commodities of this life that are a part of this universe. But secondly, He is even more eager to care for those who obey the gospel. It's the next level, if you please. And there is a sense in which God cares for those who have obeyed the gospel of His Son and who are making the ongoing choice to deliberately serve God. Now, I will tell you, God has given 
man alone. Created in his image the ability with free will to make choice. We choose who we will serve. We choose what we're going to do. We choose how we're going to live. We choose who is our master. We choose what's most important in our life. But with every blessing, there is corresponding responsibility. So you make a choice, you don't get to choose the consequence. God chooses the consequence. So there is a sense in which God is eager to care for those who obey the gospel. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter. And I want to look at 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. And I want to look at verse 19, because Peter makes uh, an affirmation here. It sometimes gets, it gets lost. It's not always addressed. Verse 19, he says, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God. Now get that picture in your mind. Those, let those who suffer according to the will of God. There, there are things that happen in life. God allows those things to happen. They prove and they test our faith. They make us stronger if we react in the right way. So he says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, here it is, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And don't skip over that last phrase, as to a faithful creator. We have in our banking system something known as the FDIC. And those who want to put their monies and their value valuables into those institutions are guaranteed by the FDIC to cover the loss if something happens. They're, it's supposed to be that way. Now, uh, I'm not so sure that always works out that way. But it's supposed to be that way. So there's supposed to be confidence in the system. Now I'm going to tell you where you can put your deposit. And you'll never have to worry again. When one deposits his or her life in the bank of God's service, there will always be dividends that come as the result of your investments without fail. Thus, when we seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6 and 33, we're laying up, as Jesus talks about earlier in Matthew 6, treasures in heaven. Money is important. It's a medium of exchange. You've got, you got to have it to live. But you know what? All the money in the world isn't worth a dime compared to the value of one soul. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Parents, grandparents, when you, when you talk and you teach and you instruct your children and your grandchildren, don't overlook the need to point out to them that serving to God is to be, should be, and ought to always be the most important pursuit of their life. 
Education has its place. Being in a certain profession has its place and its value. Being talented in various ways, they all have their place. But let me tell you something. When all this world is over and Jesus comes to judge this world, what's going to matter is what you do with Jesus. Was he a king? Was he your Lord? Did you surrender your will to him? What did you do with him? Because let me tell you right now, as kindly as I could tell you, and as lovingly as I can say it, when this life's over with, if you find out and the Lord says to you, I don't know you, you worker of iniquity, you miss heaven, and you've missed all that there is. Do you hear how quiet it is in here right now? You better be making your investment. You better understand God has given you everything you need to make you complete. To do His will. To bring Him glory. To bring Him honor. To give Him due service. To give Him due credit. If someone uh, has the ability to teach, to preach, uh, to do this or to do that, it's not that you turn it inward and gloat about who you are. You get out on your knees and you thank God that He blessed you with that ability to do that. That's humility. I remember not a long time ago, a young man, still living at home, by the way. Lawrence's son is still living at home. And I said, well, what are you going to do since you graduated from high school? He said, I don't know yet. And I said, well, I can tell you this. You don't want to live at home forever. And he said, that's not the plan. So I don't know, I don't know, Lord, how to take that. But the way I take that is, is he's going to be glad to move out. And so if you want to just hasten that along, Lauren's over here going, yeah, buddy, give me those. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I want to tell you, there's nothing more important than bringing glory and honor to God. That is your purpose. That is my purpose. That is what God wants us to do. Well, I'm going to just make a couple more points. Turn with me over to the fifth chapter of 1 Peter. I'm going to begin with verse 5 and read down through um, verse 7. I love this passage of Scripture. I don't mind telling you. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And then he uses, employs the use of a very interesting term here. Be clothed with humility. What does that mean? Be clothed with humility. Well, the people of the day when Peter wrote these words as they're suffering tremendously for the cause of Christ was that the image of a servant before they began to serve would put like an apron on and tie it so that it would not get in the way and they would not soil their clothes as they served the house they were in. I want you to get that imagery in your mind because look at what Peter says then. And be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility is not demeaning ourselves. Being humble is not thinking poorly of ourselves. 
Being humble is simply not thinking of ourselves as most important. So when Peter says this to to these brethren, he is saying, look, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now listen, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. When you think about who God is, and who you are. I'm not demeaning us. We're just like, you go to the beach, we're just like one grain of sand. But God, we, we can't even get our hands around the greatness of God. And so he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Listen, that He may exalt you in due time. If, if you want to get praise... It'll come in time from God when you've got the right attitude. You don't have to go around patting yourself on the back. A young preacher, like I said, he was living home. And he preached, he wanted to preach, and he preached the sermon, and he was a humdinger. And if you don't believe it, you can just ask him, he'll tell you he was a humdinger. Well, I mean, I, I waxed up. So he's riding home with his mother in the car and he's not even driving. There's another driver. So I'll tell you something. I don't know what it tells you, but it tells you something. (laughs) And he says, how many great preachers do you think there are in this world? The mother knew her son. She knew his pride. And she said, and I quote, one less than you think there are. (laughs) You talk about being brought down low. That's what humility is. That's what humility is all about. It's it's lowly, lowly mindedness. So Peter says this. He says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Like I said earlier, we've all got issues. We've all got burdens. We've all got problems. We've got difficulties. Life sometimes can seemingly be more than we are able to face or bear. Now, the Bible instructs us in Galatians 6, number one, that when we can, as brothers and sisters in Christ... We help bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6 verse 1. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But Paul goes on to point out that there are still other burdens that nobody else can bear for you or help you with. You you got it yourself. But now here's my point. In both categories. God is there to help all of us through it if we'll just trust Him. He is ready to equip us through the power of His Word and taking His Word in and making it a part of our lives to help us and enable us to look at life with the right mindset. We're just pilgrims and sojourners. We're just passing through this land. We're not going to be here for a long time. I know. My birthday is in two days. 
No, I don't mind telling you. I've earned the badge. I'll be 73. Yeah, I know. I used to think that was ancient. Now I think, well, no, no, it's not so ancient after all now. Don't be writing me off yet. But I do know this. I've got more years behind me than I do in front of me. So what I know is that whatever days, hours, years I still have left in front of me, I need to to live with the purpose of bringing glory and honor to God and giving Him His due honor, service, and love because when this life is over with, I want Him to be able by His grace and mercy to say to me, Well done, Bill. You've been a good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of thy Lord. I want that more than anything else. I've made my share of mistakes. I've sinned in my life. God has forgiven me of those sins. He promises to continue to forgive as I repent and as I acknowledge those sins. But He also promises to help me be better and to do the things I need to do. He is going to equip me to be successful from His perspective, not the world's perspective. There it is. What do you think? I'm not going to say the lesson's yours. That, you know how many times that's said? Preachers don't even realize to say it. I, I used to say it until I listened to my tapes. Oh, have you ever listened to your own tapes? Will you please? I remember you. I did that years ago and I said, never again. I said that? I, I, I said that like that? No. No, somebody else's tape. That's not me. So I don't listen. But preachers say all the time, well, now, just a minute, I'm going to close and the lesson's yours. Well, who's the lesson for? <laughs> it's for everybody. You don't have to repeat it. It's redundant. So what I'm telling you this morning is you can take what I've said here and you can do something with it. Or you can take what I've said and you can walk out that door and go out in that parking lot and get in your car. Well, it's nice to see old Bill again. May the force be with him as he drive back to Texas. Good luck. Do I care what you think about my preaching? Does it matter whether you've believe that what I've taught is God's word yes can I change your life for you through my teaching I can help you to do that but ultimately you've got to make the choice you've got to decide I've heard so many times through the years you know Bill that was a that was such a that was such a a a good lesson I'm I'm going to do better don't tell me Talk to the Lord about it. Take it to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I want to do better. Help me here. Help me to be stronger. And He will. Help me to do more in Your kingdom. He will. Help me to be a better example for my family, for friends and brethren. He will. But you've got to be willing to give your heart to Him and your life. I'll close. By going back to our original passage in verse 21, and I'm, and I'm done. I'm going to squeeze. Yeah, 
I'm not going to quite make it till 11.45, but I'm close. He says, make it complete. New Living Translation is going to equip you. We don't, we don't use, uh, one translation says to make you perfect. We don't use that kind of phrase very often in our 21st century vocabularies. But the people of, of the time when the book of Hebrews was written understood it perfectly. No, no play on words, no pun intended. But here's what it was. A doctor knew what that meant to make you perfect because it meant to set a broken bone and set it back in its right place. A fisherman knew what it meant because it meant to mend the holes in the nets so they could go back out in the sea and catch fish. A sailor knew what it meant because it meant to outfit the ship that he was sailing on for a voyage to wherever they were going. A soldier understood what that meant because it meant to equip an army for battle. Are you getting the picture here? God makes us complete if we'll just let Him work. Our Savior, our God, they want to equip us for life on this earth and prepare us for the next life. So here I close with this thought. Tenderly. The Lord wants to set the broken bones, the broken hearts, in your life and in mine. So that we might walk straight and upright and run the race of life successfully. Tenderly, our Savior and our God, they want to repair the breaks in the nets, the tears, so that we can catch fish, but more importantly, so we can catch men. Tenderly, God and our Savior want to equip us for battle and outfit us so that we will not be battered to the point that we hit despair and give in and give up. Brethren, I will close by telling you this. I've lived a long time and I've seen a lot of things. And we're living in a time when the church is under attack like it has not been in many, many centuries. And whether we want to admit it or not, we're at a war. And there is a battle that is intense that is going on for the souls of mankind. Your soul, your kids' souls, your grandkids' souls, your spouse's soul, your soul. If you don't think there's a battle, if you don't think there's a war going on, I'll tell you what I'm afraid that means. It means you've already been captured. Don't be, a, don't be a casualty. I've seen too many casualties in the church. Way, 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 way too many. I've cried, I've wept, I'm, I'm sorrowful. I, Laura and I did camp for so many years. And I have heard and learned of a number of campers over those years who were taught and who we watched them grow in their faith only to see them when they left home and they, they went to college or they went to the military or they went out into the world 
They gave up. They gave in. They surrendered. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't surrender. Lock arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, we will not be moved. I'm looking to the rock that is higher than I. And I know God hears and he answers my prayers. He sees my needs and he understands my frame. What a difference it would make in our lives if we could just turn to Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 from time to time and maybe even turn it into a personal prayer for ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? That's just a friendly suggestion that, that you might try it. You, you might be surprised at what it'll do for you. You've been so good to listen. I, I didn't even need the cough drop. I guess I could use it now. And, no, I won't do that to you. Thank you for paying such close attention to what we have said today. I thank you for the opportunity to direct your thoughts. I thank you for your kind words. I thank you most for your prayers. Um, The doctors tell us, my family knows and have thought, by all rights, I really, I really shouldn't be here right now. Both my daughters jokingly, I think, jokingly say, Dad, you've used up all your nine lives and you're borrowing against ours. That may very well be. But I truly believe God still has some work for me to do. And so as we introduce this study from Hebrews 13, verse 18, when the writer said, you pray for me, would you keep praying for me? I want to do what I love to do. I want to teach people the truths of the gospel. I want to be useful in the kingdom. And it may be that my usefulness is only going to be in the form of the blog that I write. That's okay. I'm, I'm, I've made peace with that. But you can't, there's nothing wrong with asking for just a little bit more. And that's what I'm doing. Pray for me, would you? And I'll pray for you. May God help all of us to understand the brevity of life and how eternity is forever. If you're here this morning and you are not ready to meet God. My friend, I hope that something that we have noticed, studied, or thought about, whether it's in class or here in the sermon, has caught your attention and pricked your heart. I I hope that it has disturbed you. Disturbed you enough that you realize, I need to get right with God. While I have this moment. And while I have this time you're here and you're in any way subject to the Lord's invitation, want to become a Christian, put Christ on in baptism, or you're already a child of God and you've not been serving Him like you should. You, you know that. Others know that more than likely, but God knows it. Make peace. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing?